if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for being with us. We get rolling now at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Wednesday, the seventh morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2020. People are voting and they are voting in en masse. I mean, really long lines in the early voting at boards of elections all over the place. Yesterday was the first chance to get out there and cast your vote in the 2020 presidential election and, of course, in other races, including important Senate races in some places. And uh, Cuyahoga County Board of Elections, lines wrapped around the building out in my neck of the woods where I live in Lorain County. Same story. I had one listener slash Facebook friend send me a message saying she got in line uh, where the polls opened at 730 yesterday morning for early voting at the Lorain County Board of Elections. She was in line at 7.30, and she was 45th in that line. The first person in that line, uh, apparently this just made its way through the crowd, was in line at 5.30 yesterday. 5.30, two hours before the actual Board of Elections opened for early voting. Somebody wanted to be first. Somebody wanted to be there two hours before the, uh, the building opened. And why do I bring this up? Because the question, my friends, that none of us has answers to right now is, who is driving that enthusiasm? Who is driving that uh, passion to get in and get voted in person early? Is it Donald Trump supporters or is it Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, and communist supporters? And yeah, I'm going to use communist communism as pretty much uh, synonymous with socialism because one leads to the other, and I think we all know that. Who is more enthusiastic about getting out there and getting their votes in early and getting them counted? I would like to hear from you this morning on the broadcast about whether or not you were in a line yesterday in Cuyahoga County, or maybe you're in Geauga County, maybe you were in Portage County or Lake County or Lorraine County or any Summit County, any of the other counties that we reach. Were you in line at the Board of Elections yesterday? What was your read? Are you going there today? Do you think this was just first day blitz, or is it going to be this way until actually Election Day? that the boards of elections are seeing this much action 
long lines. And by the way, the photos that I saw of the long lines and a little bit of video did not exactly show six feet of space in between people. The social distancing was not necessarily followed in most of the circumstances that I saw. Are you amongst those going to vote early, and what is your read? When you get there, I would love to hear from you. Or if you were in it yesterday, did you, could you tell, could you determine from hearing crosstalk and conversation, maybe doing a little eavesdropping uh, from those in front of you or behind you, is it Trumpian or is it Bidenness? And yeah, I made those up. Uh, I would like to know uh, because I fear and I feel like it could go either way. That the anti-Trump hatred, and I mean it is vitriolic, it is, it is so deeply felt. I mean, the, the left and the demon rat voters feel a level of contempt for Donald Trump's very existence that I don't think, well, I know I haven't ever seen in my lifetime. I have never seen a president, much less a presidential candidate, um, being treated with the type of contempt and the type of of hate and the type of, you know, just disgust that the left has for Donald Trump. The sight of his orange spray tanned or makeup tanned face just sends them into full-on TDS, Trump derangement syndrome. They just hate him with a level that, again, of, of you know, a vile level that you haven't seen before. And so they may be racing to the polls, not trusting the Postal Service to maybe do the mail-in, maybe trying a little bit of both, get in and vote, then mail something in with a scribbled signature on a ballot that came uh, unsolicited. Who knows? But the, the left, I think, is very seriously enthusiastic and passionate about getting Donald Trump out of the White House. But on the flip side, I know how my friends feel. I know how my fellow conservative patriots feel. And I know the passion and the zeal with which they want to get Donald Trump reelected. Let me rephrase. I know the passion that they have because we need to get Donald Trump reelected. It's no longer a matter of want. It's no longer a matter of desire. It's no longer a matter of, I want to win just so we can watch more liberal tears flow. Ha, 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 ha. It's not just, you know, I I think sometimes in the past, in past presidential election cycles and campaigns, one could make the case that it was like a sporting event for a lot of people. I, I, I really mean that. For example, you know, when, when, Clinton, Bill Clinton uh, ran in 1992 against George H.W. Bush, and then here comes Ross Perot. For a lot of people, it was great theater. It was just like, you know, my side versus your side. Ha ha, we won. Ha ha, uh, your side lost. It was very sportslike. It was very, aha, the Browns beat the Steelers. Well, that doesn't happen often. Uh, ha ha, the Cowboys beat the Redskins. Oh, we can't say Redskins anymore. I'm ruining my own analogies here. You understand my point? It, it's, it, it was almost like a sporting event, almost like a my side, your side, and I'm cheering because we won. I remember a national radio host did a, like a, I want to say a, 
60 minute long, maybe the first hour. I was on a different radio station um, back when in 2004 when George W. Bush beat John Kerry for re-election. Um, I remember that host, a national host, spending almost an entire hour just playing celebration music and laughing really, really hard because ha, 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 George Bush uh, beat John Kerry. I mean, it was just like a glorious dance. And I've done similar things myself at various times. But it's almost, again, just like, you know, it's like when you celebrate when Ohio State beats Michigan and you celebrate a national championship. And and it's just like my side beat your side. I'm going to go to bed happy. Right? That's I, I can confess that's how it has been a lot of times in the past. This is no longer just a ha-ha my side against your side. I hope we win so that you cry. I mean, don't get me wrong. I did really enjoy the liberal tears and the freakouts and the screaming at the sky and the no and the Rachel Maddow on live television going, so this is this is this is our country now. This 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 man is gonna be our president. Freaking out uh unbelievable you know, in disbelief that Donald Trump had just won in twenty sixteen. I did enjoy those liberal tears, don't get me wrong. But this is so much more than just that. This isn't want, desire, rooting for my team over your team. This is the fate of the future of the United States of America as you know her. In that much jeopardy. And I mean every sense of the word democracy, every sense of the word constitution. And by the way, when I say democracy... I am not talking about the United States. Don't ever let anybody say that the United States is a democracy. We are a representative republic, a constitutional republic. And that will be gone if Joe Biden and Kamala Harris assume power. Hugh Hewitt said something this morning on his program that I subscribe to. um, And I have also said on my program, one of these will not happen without the other. Joe Biden will not win the White House without also the Democrats having the turnout to win the key Senate races to take control of the Senate. Donald Trump will not re-win the White House without Republicans keeping control and maybe perhaps expanding a little bit their control of the Senate. I do not believe that a re- the Republican candidate will win the presidency and the Democrats win the Senate, nor the Democrat Joe, Joe Biden winning the presidency and the Republicans holding the Senate. Hugh made that clear this morning, and I've been saying this for a while now. One will happen with the other. We will either have full control of the Senate and the White House and hopefully make some inroads toward getting the House back from Nancy Pelosi. We'll either have that near unified power, or we will lose all semblance of power. And if we lose the White House and the Senate together to the demon rat crowd, you can say good say goodbye to this constitutional republic. You can say goodbye to the Supreme Court as you know it. It will be packed. You can say goodbye to the filibuster. One party rule will be able to uh, to to reshape, fashion, forge, create, destroy. Those words don't all sound synonymous, but they are when you're talking about what the Democrats would do to this country refashion it, reshape it, forge it in their own image. And that would, by necessity, destroy it as we know it today. Green New Deals, open borders, 
Medicare for all, no more private insurance, higher taxes, business regulations to beat the band. Businesses would be choked by the government. Religious liberty, goodbye. Free speech, goodbye. Second Amendment, nice knowing you. All of those things are up for grabs. All of those things are in grave jeopardy. If the lines that I started this show talking about were more Democrat, demon rat, than they were conservative patriots. And those two things are indeed antonyms. They are the opposite of one another. Democrats or demon rats and patriotism. They are uh, uh, antonyms. There is no such thing as a demon rat and a patriot. There just isn't. So are you going early? How are you voting? I would like to know. How are you voting? What is your plan? Are you going to vote in person? Are you going to vote in person early? Are you going to vote absentee? Or are you going to wait for somebody to mail you a ballot and just send it in ma- uh, by, by way of mail? which apparently millions and millions and millions of Americans plan to do. The vast majority of them are indeed demon rats. So I want to hear from you at 216 Coming up in about 15 minutes, Andy Puzder, former CEO, restaurant CEO, and uh, uh, now uh, Trump, Pence 2020 economic advisor. He'll be joining us to talk about Joe Biden's lies and President Trump's Extraordinary success at job creation in his three and a half years on the job. I say three and a half because the last six, seven months was taken over by COVID. So we're going to talk to Andy Puzder at 9.35. And a little bit later, we have another guest that is escaping me right now uh, for some strange reason. My apologies for that. I'll get to that in a moment. But uh, I do want to just focus on where we are. And I want you to focus on uh, getting out there early and making sure that the enthusiasm and the energy that I was discussing. Oh, that's right. Wow. How perfectly timed is this? As I'm talking about getting out to vote and how you plan to do it, Secretary of State Frank LaRose is my other guest at 1010 this morning. Secretary of State Frank LaRose, we're going to talk to him about all of those methods of voting. And we're going to talk about some of the concerns about the uh, efficacy, if you will, of the voting process in 2020. So Secretary of State Frank LaRose, is in charge of elections, will be joining us coming up at 1010. Right now it's 921. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 926, the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer, let's get a few phone calls in before we talk to Andy Puzder after the news. Uh, it's Mikhail in Beechwood on AM 1420, the answer. Hi, Mikhail, go ahead. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes, uh, we voted yesterday at the Cuyahoga County Board of Elections. I timed it. Uh, start to finish, the line was about 58, 59 minutes long at a 12 o'clock hour. Drove with two wow. people, three of us. Yeah, three of us voted full slate cards. Yeah, we got we printed them out from the Cuyahoga County GOP. I strongly encourage others to not just vote for uh, the best president uh, on the ballot, uh, a best presidential candidate on the ballot, uh, Donald Trump, but also find out for all the judges down slate from uh, 
Ohio Supreme Court, very important uh, majorities at stake, uh, Justice Kennedy, Justice French, and about. But yeah, I mean, some people were surprised that it's uh, just under an hour, even though, you know, kind of lunch hour. But um, Cuyahoga County, yeah, I mean, it's it, it was heavily pro-Biden, in, in, as far as we can tell anecdotally in the line. But, of course, I mean, it's Cuyahoga County. If it, if it was heavily pro-Trump, I mean, Trump would be up by 50, 60 points in Ohio. So, um, yeah, no, it's very important to vote early, uh, because here in Beachwood, uh, we've had recently, and especially uh, during uh, local battles, when it's very close, one levy was defeated by five votes, we had over an hour-long lines, and uh, right of center voters, mostly not uh, not diehard conservatives, but slight conservatives, fiscal conservatives, mm-hmm. when they come back after work after five o'clock and they see an hour-long line, some skip. Uh, I'm not sure about your listeners. Your listeners are probably much more informed and much more enthusiastic, but uh, some weaker fiscal conservatives will uh, skip voting if they see a long line, and now with social distancing. And whatever else, and mask run around. Some people may think the lines are actually longer than they are. So I strongly encourage uh, people to vote early. Um, if anything else, people save their party some a few dollars because the postcards and the letters urging them to vote uh, stop. Because with modern technology, the political operatives right. know who voted, who, who voted, and they, and they take you off the list. And that could be many right. thousands of dollars. Well, you're 100% right about that, Mikhail. Listen, i got to get other people on. Thanks for the call. Great stuff from Beachwood. Thank you for your experience. Let me go to North Ridgeville. Chuck, did you vote at the Lorain County Board of Elections yesterday? Yes, Mr. Brands. How are you doing? We've met. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with totally engaged Americans, and we were down there. <coughs> well, we got me and my wife got down about 710 to meet with our group. We had signs up in the parking lot, and we were giving away donuts and free coffee and stuff like that. But we also had what did the line look line. like when you showed up? Hey, hey Chuck, uh, what did the line was, look like when you and the uh, the folks showed up at 710? Well, there was about a dozen people in line. And uh, uh, by 730 when it opened, though, it was down to Cooper Foster Road. Okay. Wow. So, oh, so yeah. that, that filled up fast. So the people who got oh, there yeah. at 530 <laughs> didn't need to do that, apparently. No, but we were <laughs> but, it, but it filled up we fast. Wanted, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so how would you gauge the support of the line or the folks there? I mean, obviously, you were there with the Tea Party, the Totally Engaged Americans Party. Uh, I, I mean, was there more Trump, more Biden, a little bit of, a little bit of each, or what could you tell? Uh, anecdotally, of course. You know, we talked to a lot of people. Yes. People were very friendly. No one came up and was uh, nasty to us. Uh, we had one lady with us who has a medical problem. She was in line and... You know, a masked Nazi, you know, accosted her, and she said, listen, I got a medical, and she had her documents and everything with her. You know, but, uh, uh, so bring your mask. It looked, everyone was masked, all right? So you right. can't tell by that. Uh, but I'll tell you, people were very friendly to us. We ran out of coffee and donuts pretty quick. Uh, and, I, you know, people would go by and say, Trump, Trump, I'd have my fist in the air. One guy all the way down at the end of the parking lot, he waved to us, nodded his head. Now, we had one person come by and said, hey, are you pro-Trump? And he, he said no, but he voted, and he came back, and he drove by in his car and with his window down. He said, now, I didn't say that I was pro-Biden, and I didn't say I voted for wow. him. Wow. So, we so we were laughing about that. See, now, that. That's, a really interesting, that's a really interesting conversation that you had there and a really interesting story. Chuck, thanks for the call. i got to get to our news here. But that's very interesting because of all of the polling, and so many people will tell us that you cannot rely on the polls because Trump supporters or Trump voters are not necessarily advertising themselves as such. 
They won't tell people they're Trump supporters for a variety of reasons, or they're Trump voters, rather. So this guy said to you, no, I'm not a Trump supporter. But then when he left, he said, by the way, I didn't say I was a Biden supporter, which means he very well may have voted for Trump, uh, but not necessarily being a supporter of his, just voting for um, you know, the, the person that he feels you know, least threatened by, if you will. So, yeah, that's a very interesting. You know, yeah, you got to read into it a little bit, but that's a very interesting series of conversations that you had. Chuck, thank you. We're going to get more of those calls, but we're talking to Andy Puzder next on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, 935, the Bob France Authority back on AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you being here. So debate number two of the debate schedule is uh, on tap for tonight. This one, of course, features the vice presidential candidates, Mike Pence and Kamala Harris, going to uh, uh, go toe-to-toe, if you will. Even though uh, they won't be toe-to-toe, they're going to be separated by a barrier. Mike Pence does not like that. Looking back at the first debate, one of the outside of, of course, of the, you know, the tone and the name calling and the interruptions and that aspect of the debate when it comes down to content, Joe Biden had a lot to say and he seems to frequently do that. Uh, and so, so did Chris Wallace, of course, as a part of uh, President Trump having to face a two on one battle there, had a lot to say about President Trump's economic record and President Trump's ability to create an, an amazing number of jobs in his first three and a half years in office. Chris Wallace and Joe Biden pointed out that Barack Obama's administration created more jobs in his uh, final two years or three years in office than President Trump did in his first three. Well, that is not exactly telling the whole story, says uh, Andy Puzder. Andy Puzder, of course, is a Trump-Pence 2020 advisor, economic advisor, and he's a former restaurant CEO. We're glad to have him back on the air here in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Uh, Mr. Puzder, good morning. How are you, sir? Uh, Great, Bob. How are you? I'm great. I loved your column. You wrote this. It was actually actually ran uh, last week, uh, unpacking Joe Biden's lies about the Trump job creation miracle. So I kind of gave the backdrop there. The claim is that Obama was more successful at creating jobs in his second term than President Trump has been in his widely uh, praised job performance in terms of job numbers first term. Tell us what the difference is. Well, it, you know, it ignores the question that Chris Wallace ignored, and I, I you know, I. I was a fan of Chris Wallace's. I think I'm not anymore. He, he, the, what he ignored in the question was, and he knew this, uh, that, that there was a labor shortage. There was a shortage of workers during the last two years of President Trump's, um, uh, excuse me, during years two and three of President Trump's administration because the economy was booming at such a dynamic rate, particularly the labor market. For example, when Barack Obama left office, we had 1.9 million more people unemployed than there were job openings. So every time there was a job opening, you had a lot of people competing for the job. Therefore, wages stagnated. You never had wage growth even hit 3% after the recession. And people started dropping out of the labor force because they couldn't find jobs and they couldn't find good-paying jobs. Within a year after uh, President Trump took office, by March of 2018, for the first time since the government's been tracking the data, the number of job openings was greater than, exceeded the number of people unemployed. It stayed that way for 24 months, and for 17 of those months, there were over a million more job openings than people unemployed. So what that did was by August of 2018, it drove wage growth, and we had 20 straight months of wage growth over 3%, something they never did in the Obama administration, 
And for workers, wages increased more than they did for higher employee, for managers, for higher level, income level people. And people began rejoining the workforce. In fact, at the end of 2019, over 70% of the people who took jobs in the fourth quarter of 2019 came from outside the labor force. In other words, they weren't unemployed. They were people that were on the sidelines, discouraged from the Obama years. They rejoined the labor force, and labor participation went up. So what you had was an incredible year where workers could find better-paying jobs. They could move from one job to another, finding um, uh, jobs that were more satisfactory to them, that suited them better. Family income increased to the highest level it's ever been since we've been tracking the data. It made the biggest year-over-year increase from 2018 to 2019, 6.8%. Never had a year where where income increased that much. In fact... It increased $4,400 from 2018 to 2019. The entire Obama-Biden administration, median family increased $3,000. So we Trump did more in a year than Obama did in eight years. And poverty dropped to the lowest level since the government's been tracking the data in 19, beginning in 1959. Uh, and it also dropped the most for one year, 1.3 percentage points. That was the biggest drop in poverty ever. And poverty dropped most significantly for blacks, Hispanics, and Asians, so for minorities. This was an incredible, incredible year, an incredible economic achievement. And Chris Wallace's questions and Biden's responses were woefully inadequate and basically hid the relevant data. Okay, two follow-ups to that, and I'm going to ask them both now because I'll forget one once you answer the other. <laughs> Andy Puzder is our <laughs> guest. He is, uh, I'll, I'll give short... Uh, I'll give you shorter answers from now on. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you will. The, the first one is, why doesn't President Trump explain that? When he is given the opportunity to talk after a question like that from uh, Chris Wallace, why doesn't he explain that in the way that you did? Do you think that he understands it in the same way that you just explained it in terms of the workforce? Because that's a great answer to an obviously difficult question. So many people talk about President Trump and his job growth, historic low unemployment rates for blacks, Hispanics, blah, blah, blah. We always talk about this. Um, and, yet, and then they hear that, that that, that stat that Wallace gave and say, well, maybe that's all a lie. So I, I wonder why the president doesn't do that. And the second thing is more of a question for a layperson, Andy. You you know you understand this stuff so much better than the rest of us. Explain to me the types of jobs that were created under Obama. Because here's what I've said on the radio ever since then. All of those jobs that were created as they celebrated big month after big month in the Obama years were, were essentially service sector jobs, low-paying service sector jobs and not manufacturing jobs that he actually said, if we recall, um, uh, Barack Obama saying, well, how's he going to bring back these manufacturing jobs? They're never coming back. What does he have, a magic wand he's going to wave? Um, and he did. President Trump did create more manufacturing jobs. So can you talk about the difference between the, between the types of jobs when we get into job creation numbers? And then again, why doesn't the president defend himself with the same language you did? Yeah, I, I don't know what the debate strategy was uh, for President Trump in that debate. I know he met with Chris Christie and uh, Rudy Giuliani for debate prep, and you're talking about two prosecutors who, you know, you, you saw how Chris Christie went after Marco Rubio in the Republican debates back in 2016. I mean, that was kind of their style. I, I, the president does understand what I said. He certainly understands that he's a you know, really smart guy, and he is on top of the numbers. I wish he had given an answer like that. I think he would have been better served. Uh, but, look, he's got, you know, he's much better at these debates than I am. So I, uh, I, I, so I, I, I honestly don't know what the thinking was or what the reason was, but I'm sure that they had a, they had a theory and a, an approach. The other, 
you know, the other thing nobody talks about, and maybe maybe I shouldn't even say this, but I'm going to say it. I guess I'm saying it on radio, so I'll be saying it to everybody. But you know, if the president got the the uh, the virus when uh, at that event for Amy Coney Barrett, uh, well, then he had the virus when he was at the debate. Now, he he didn't know it because the test the test didn't show that he had it because it takes five days after you contact it for the test to show whether or not you actually have the virus. Uh, but he had the virus during the debate, which I you know I'm 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 not sure what effect that would have on people, but it would have had an effect on me. As far as jobs that were created during uh, the Obama presidency, one of the reasons that wage rate, wage growth never hit three percent under Obama was because they were not good paying jobs. They were lower level, lower paying jobs. Um, there was there wasn't the demand for blue collar workers during the Obama administration that there was during the Trump administration. Because everybody was trying to take those low-paying jobs. I was running CKE restaurants at the time, so Carl's Jr. and Hardee's. And we actually had people with college degrees applying for jobs in our restaurants, you know, to work behind the counter or or clean the drink bar. uh, Because they couldn't find good-paying jobs, even though they had a college education. So you had a lot of people competing for very poor-quality jobs. Which you know that doesn't drive wages up. If if employers are compete are, are are if employees are competing for jobs, wages stagnate. It's only when employers are competing for workers that wages go up. So you you did as you as you had pointed out you during that period of time during the Obama administration they had jobs they just weren't very good jobs. Right. Yeah. A lot of them, like I said, were service sector, and and that's no not to diminish the work of service sector workers. Obviously, you as a former CEO of CKA Restaurants, uh, you employed thousands and thousands of service workers. No disrespecting there at all. But bottom line is that's different than a manufacturing job, a blue collar job that's going to get you uh, higher wages and and obviously better uh, long term benefit plans and so on and so forth. And those things just did not happen uh, in big numbers under Barack Obama. They have been under President Trump. Andy, I want to, we're talking to Andy Puzder. Andy's latest book is The Capitalist Comeback, The Trump Boom and the Left's Plan to Stop It. I'm going to ask you two more questions, but I will ask them one at a time this time. Tell me how the president um, rebuilds this economy in the wake of COVID, if indeed we can see the wake of COVID in the future. We're not in the wake of it right now, according to a lot of the uh, naysayers and the dooms, uh, doomsdayers. Uh, they're saying the second wave is coming, et cetera, et cetera, and that's going to keep us uh, you know, kind of locked down to 25% capacity here, 50% capacity there, businesses still struggling, workers still struggling. How does the president rebuild after this? And then I'll save the last question. Go ahead. Okay, well, I, 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 there's, a, there's a bunch of answers to that, and I'll try and go through this as, as quickly as I possibly can. First, we're in the most dynamic okay. economic recovery in, uh, in the history of the United States. We've had five incredible months of job growth, four of them historic, and the most recent one, September, the best job growth since September of 1983. Retail sales are back above pre-pandemic levels. Five months of manufacturing growth, and we've had uh, the... Um, Household wealth is now in excess of what it was prior to the pandemic. So this is an incredible recovery. And given his performance in 2019, which I just went through, how great it was, I think if we can elect, if we reelect President Trump, we're going to find very, very dynamic economic growth going forward. And by the way, the, the, the hysteria about the pandemic will decline very significantly after the election, no matter who's elected, because the media won't have any more inspiration to continue the hysteria. And there was, it's good you asked me about this because nobody's covering this. The Wall Street Journal covered it this morning. 
but they're the only major media outlet that covered it. There's something called the Barrington Declaration, and I'd encourage everybody to go online and read it. It was written by three infectious disease experts from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford, and it's now been signed on by another uh, 2,000 infectious disease experts and and 4,000 medical practitioners that says the current lockdown policies are not are, are more harmful than if we opened up the economy. What we need to do is reopen the economy because the risk of death from this disease is now so low if you're young. If you're under 69, it's over 99% survival. The younger you get, the higher that percentage goes. Even if you're over 70, the survival rate is 94.6%. That's the CDC's number. What they say is we need to protect the vulnerable, protect people that are elderly or that have health conditions, and everybody else needs to get back to work, needs to get back to living their lives normally, because the devastation of these lockdowns is worse than the devastation would be of people going back to work. They're basically proposing that we do what Sweden did, and Sweden, as you know, has most, is, is the nation that's most successfully dealt with the pandemic. So we need, and, my, and by the way, my book, most recent book is called It's Time to Let America Work Again. It's a pamphlet by Encounter Books. They call it a broadside. It's available on Amazon, and it covers much of this. It doesn't cover the Barrington Declaration. I wish it had been out when I wrote the pamphlet. But I'd encourage people to read that and to get the pamphlet. If you put my name in, P-U-Z-D-E-R, on Amazon, it'll come up. It's about 6 $7. It's a 50-page booklet. But it'll give you the arguments for getting America back to work, letting Americans work again. And, uh, and I think will be helpful if you have to debate people that are thinking about supporting Biden or just to help your community. Glad to hear that part. I was not aware of the pamphlet or booklet, so thank you for clarifying on that, and I hope people do check that out. It is important to, make, to win those arguments. And my last question for you, Andy Puzder, is going to be this. Um, you know, I asked you about the optimism of the Trump rebuild of this economy, and you gave great information, particularly about the uh, the most dynamic uh, rebound from, uh, you know, a recession, if you will, that we're still kind of in the middle of, but uh, but the job numbers have been historic over the last four, five, six months. Uh, well, four or five, I guess. I want you to paint the other picture now as you go. Um, Tell me what this economy looks like under Joe Biden. Tell me what this economy looks like under a Democrat-run Senate, because it's my belief that you cannot have one without the other. If Biden wins the White House, the Democrats will win control of the Senate and have essentially, uh, you know, single-party rule in D.C., uh, and I, I look at this and I see open borders and I see millions more people coming in and taking jobs from Americans. I look at this and I see Medicare for all, uh, in the wa- waiting in the wings. I look at this and I see Green New Deal killing jobs. I mean, just give me how, uh, paint the darkest picture you can that's accurate because I want people to be afraid. I want them to vote as if our country's future depends on it because it does. Tell us what happens economically if Joe Biden and the Democrats win in the, in the uh, Oval Office and the Senate. Well, you know, here, I'll paint the picture, but I don't have to make it look dark. It looks dark without me doing anything to it. <laughs> if you go to Joe Biden's website, every policy he has, Every single policy involves government spending. It, ex- it involves expanding the government. There isn't one single policy, not one, uh, where he can come out and say, this is what I'm doing to encourage private sector job growth. This is what's going to make your business want to grow and want to develop and want to hire people. Nothing. Everything is, depends on the government being able to spend money. This is the Obama administration's policies on steroids. As bad and as stagnant as the economy was 
for workers under President Obama. It will be worse under President Joe Biden should he be elected. This is it would be a disaster for the country. It would put in place policies, socialist, progressive policies that we will never get out from under. It, it, this, this is a, a horrifically, horrifically impactful election for the future of the American people and for the future of the American economy. This, this is, I, I, you know, I tell you, the stock market will probably be fine. If you're worried about the stock market, it did fine under Obama. Rich people, wealthy people under Obama did okay. They didn't, nobody, you know, rich people weren't going bankrupt or losing their second home. But for working class Americans, there will be no competition for employees. There will be never, job openings will never exceed the number of people unemployed. Wages will stagnate and people will once again be dropping out of the workforce in droves because they can't find good paying jobs to support their families. Uh, it will be a disaster for blue collar and working class Americans and middle and middle class Americans. Yeah, uh, you're right. You don't have to, you know, I, I wasn't asking for a fictional dark portrait here. I just wanted the I reality. Know, I wanted you to really, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it really is going to be that bad. And I just want people to have a clear picture in their heads of the damage uh, that is going to be done if we do not reelect President Trump and make sure that we keep a, de- uh, a Republican-controlled Senate. Andy Puster, thank you so much for the great work that you do. Thank I you, really Bob. appreciate it, sir. Thank you. All right, Andy Puster, by the way, a Cleveland native, if you did not know, uh, and uh, he is uh, he is a tremendously successful financial advisor and economic advisor to the president. All right, uh, we'll get a quick time out here and come back with more of your calls on AM 1420, The Answer. I said, now is road front seat of my car. I said, Patty, you made me, babe. I'll take good care of you. Okay, 9.57, time for a couple of quick phone calls before the top of the hour. After the top of the hour, you're going to want to hear from our guest. It's going to be Frank LaRose, who is Ohio's Secretary of State. What questions do you have about voting? What questions do you have about the integrity of the vote? Uh, all of those things we're going to try to get into about early voting. We're going to talk about uh, absentee ballots. We're going to talk about mail-in voting, the unsolicited kind of mail-in ballots you may receive. Going to get into all of that with the Secretary of State, who's in charge of Ohio elections, Frank LaRose, after the top of the hour. Uh, Tanya is in Akron, wants to talk about this election. And uh, Tanya, good morning. Go right ahead. Hey, Bob. Uh, you normally call when I have something that's on fire in my belly. Yes, I'm going to stand in line and I'm going to vote on Election Day because I'm not afraid. I don't care. I live in a predominantly black neighborhood. I'll probably be the only Republican ticket they have there. I don't care. My question, my thing is that we're in this predicament about losing our country because we paid more attention to what our kids ate and what they wore than what were they were being taught. I'm talking about my generation and my parents' generation. I'm having too many parents that are upset that their kids aren't talking to them because they're not voting for a socialist. Wake up, put on your big girl pants and panties, and vote your principles. Don't let your children tell you how to vote. I'm so tired of that. I'm just really frustrated. We vote because we're we no principles principles matter. I'm not just voting for Donald Trump. I'm voting for the principles that will maintain our civil society, our Western civilization. And if we don't wake up and stop being pansies and understand this is the vote of our children, 
and our grandchildren. You going to vote on you don't vote when your grandchildren you won't be here, but your grandchildren will be Venezuela. I'm just tired of hearing it. Wake up. Do what you need to do. Don't give a crap about what your kids say. Vote your principles. Don't listen to these kids. Tanya, I love your passion. I love your enthusiasm, and I agree with you a thousand percent. It's not just about voting for the man. It is about voting for your principles and about voting for your country and what you want it to look like for those kids and grandkids because it is absolutely in serious jeopardy if we do not get this right. Thank you, Tanya. God bless you. Appreciate that call. Everybody else, if you're on hold, stay there. I'm going to come to you, but I'm going to get a news break, and then we're going to talk to Secretary of State Frank LaRose about all of the voting issues that you might have. Uh, That's coming up on AM 1420 the answer.